I'm Mark Gandy for CFO Bookshelf. I love books by CEOs. A few of my recent favorites have included Wild Company by Mel Ziegler and his spouse, Invested by Charles Schwab, Made from Scratch by the late Kent Taylor of Texas Roadhouse, and What It Takes by Reagan Moya Jones. And I could go on and on. Well, some friends in Kansas City, Missouri, told me about Jeff Polovic, and I looked him up and learned he had written a book, and a short one. Again, his name is Jeff Polovic. The book is Why Can't We? Now, it's no shoe dog, but there are similarities in this five-star book, Modest Beginnings, Adversity, and then Success and Growth. Wait a minute, more cash flow issues and more adversity. And then a new partner and an exit near the end. My chat with the founder of Driving Force, Jeff Polovic, is coming up next here on CFO Bookshelf. Once again, Jeff Polovic is the founder of Driving Force. It's based in Canada. And the biggest part of their business is vehicle rentals. And he did sell a majority stake in the business to Mario Benny, and he does remain on the Driving Force Board of Directors. Before we get started, Jeff mentions the term quick start a few times in this conversation, and I need to define that so you will not be wondering what's he talking about. It's a term from the cognitive assessment, the Colby Egg. Quick starts are instinctively decisive. They are improvisers. They are future-oriented. You may say, well, isn't everybody? Well, for him, it's just it's, it's an instinct. He's also very idea-centric. So I just, again, wanted to explain quick start when you hear that term uh, coming up in a few minutes. You heard me talking about books by CEOs. Well, I started my conversation suggesting that every CEO should write a book. Well, maybe. Oh, absolutely, because I think every one of them has an opportunity uh, to share uh, their view of the world, but also some of the, I guess, the pearls of wisdom that they have learned and and experienced. And I think that's what's really good. But you know what? I I don't know if I, I think it's written in the book as well, but the reason I did this book was because um, when I started my business, I, I just worked and, you know, luckily I, I married, I married well, and I have a wonderful partner who has done a remarkable job with our kids. And, you know, we went through a lot of, as you read in the book, lots of ups and downs and challenges, but really what I wanted as I really wanted to be able to, um, have some sort of a record for our children in terms of what was actually going on during the time that they were growing up. And, you know, not that we had, we didn't have any family issues or anything like that, but I, I just think sometimes when, when you get older, uh, I wish I would have known more about my, my grandparents, for example, uh, you know, they, they were immigrants from Ukraine. Uh, and, you know, I never did really get to meet my grandfather because he was killed in 1934. So I missed him. Uh, however, you know, I knew enough people that knew him and, you know, my dad, shared his thoughts about him, but I wish I would have, wish I would have had more of a written sort of history of, of what he was like. Cause imagine the courage it would have taken in 1927 to leave 
uh, Ukraine at that time, and you know, come across on the ocean, uh, end up in a strange country that you don't speak the language, and you know, and you existed. So, I think everyone has that opportunity. Everyone has that opportunity to share their stories, and I think sometimes those stories get missing. There isn't probably a week that goes by that I don't wish. Yeah, I wish I had asked my dad about, or I wish I asked my mother that. Uh, so it's, I guess that's really what I was doing when I when I put this whole thing together. I really wanted, I really wanted my kids to know more about who their dad was. By the way, I do love your industry. I think your industry is unique. You cannot go to. Well, now it's the the digital Wall Street Journal, but once upon a time, the old print version, you could not go to the you cannot go to the stock section and look up the hundreds of businesses in your industry. You you kind of fell into this business, right? Tell me just a little bit about the leasing business. I by the way, I call your industry the apartment complex on wheels. I guess what the thing that I really liked about the industry, what attracted me more than anything, was uh, you deal with such a wide variety of people. You're not dealing with just lawyers. You're not dealing with just doctors. You're not dealing with just construction guys. You're dealing with manufacturers. You're dealing with such a wide variety. And I guess that probably speaks to my quick start, where I find it very interesting meeting different people and spending time with different people and learning from different people. So I guess that's one of the things that I really like about Vehicles, I mean, I always like vehicles, but as I've got older, I know, you know, cars are cars, trucks are trucks, and I've kind of lost that, I would say, I mean, I still like to have a nice vehicle, but it's not, I used to know every make and model shape and every turn and twist, and now, as time went on, I was chasing money, I really wasn't, uh, I really wasn't chasing customers anymore, or, or sharing the passion about vehicles, it was more about the passion about getting to know people and getting to work with a great team and, and, and provide some inspirational leadership to the people that were in our organization. So I'm kind of, this is a quick start right now, going around in a million directions. So pardon me on that. <laughs> no worries whatsoever. Here's what's cool about, and by the way, you are a very humble person. There, there's no bragging in the book. You're just being very matter of fact. Your first year you had 50 units in your fleet, 50 units. Uh, you're working 14, 16 hours a day. Hmm. And you had a line in your book that says, I couldn't wait to go to work every day. And you made money that first year. That is remarkable, sir. Yeah, well, I thank you. I, I I don't think of it as a big deal. It was just, that's what you had to do. And, you know, it's, you look back and there's things that you said, oh, I wish I'd have done something different or I'm glad I did that. Or, you know what, I have no regret, but we did in one year, uh, we lost money yeah, out of the 45 years we've been in business. It was only one year. And that was in the early eighties. And it was a combination of a number of different things. But the reason being is that that was when the national energy program, uh, was put in by the, by the federal government. And it just changed the game for everything in Alberta. It, it really did. And, you know, Alberta is still getting, I guess, crapped on by by the federal government. You know, now it is going green. I think this whole green thing is. Um, I don't. I don't disagree that that we probably need to get to that point. But for goodness' sake, let's be a little more realistic about it. Look at all the money that's been wasted in Germany and other parts around the world where they've tried to go. Ontario, for example, has tried to go green, and look how much money it's cost everybody. Let's just be practical about what some of the solutions are instead of. 
throwing the baby out with the bathwater, I guess, is really what I think some of the screen stuff is happening right now. When I finished reading your book, and again, I really like this book, I immediately just started writing down some notes that came to me. I didn't try to look at uh, a time arc. I took some of my favorite ideas, and I want to bring up three of them if it's okay. Number one, yep. number one, Jeff, huge compliment. I was so impressed with your desire to self-improve. And I'll give you examples. You talked about going to strategic coach. Now, it sounds like that was a little bit later. Uh, you talked about YPO. Uh, you talked about Dale Carnegie, which, by the way, we have to compare notes someday because I attended when it was 13 weeks consecutive yeah. and you went four yeah. hours. It was a big deal. Yeah. It was a huge time commitment. And then also you mentioned the HBR president management program, which by the way, it's still in existence. Their next one is in May, several months away. It's already, it, it's, it's, I know. it's, you can't get in. It, you see the price of, did you see what it yes, cost? Yes, was it like 48K. It's it $45,000 now. Yeah. And, and so, and when I took it, it was, I don't know, I think it was 20,000 or something like that. But and at that time, it was an exorbitant about money. Um, but to, to this day, it's still the best money I've ever spent on education. I So I'm dying to hear the answer to this question. Yeah. Let's say you're speaking to a group of 30, 40, 50. I was almost ready to say young executives, but it could be of any age. What would you tell them or suggest to them in terms of continuous self-improvement? I, I think that uh, I don't care how old you are. Uh, I think, I think you, you know, your the mind. I think your curiosity is is probably one of the most uh, powerful weapons that you have, or tools that you have at your disposal. And and I think if you think you know everything, uh, you're just you're not even scratching the surface of what what's available out there. And I want to I want to answer that question by coming back to the. Harvard OPM program for a minute. There was a point in in part of my life where, um, you know, we've now been in business for, uh, I guess this would have been 78, 88, probably about 15 years, 12 to 15 years that we've been in business. And there's, and I think just by the, by maybe luck or by the seat of your pants or, or just by common sense and your value system is, is what's driving everything forward. And if you've got good values, I think you can have a good company. And quite frankly, that was that, that was why I really started the whole business because where I was working before, I don't really feel the values were aligned. And so I thought the only way I can do this is to start my own business and, and I'm going to work for myself instead of for somebody else. So it, you get to a point, though, in your career where you just don't, you, you just don't um, know what you don't know. And and when I read that Inc. article uh, about Railtex, uh, and I looked at it, and I said, you know what, this this is me. This is exactly where I am right now. I, I've done well. We're making money. We, you know, we really have had a great deal of success. But there's just some things you don't know. And when when I went to the, the, the OPM program, for example, at Harvard, it was like, all of a sudden, you know, you're like this sponge, you know, and you've got all of this information. You've got 70 people who are in the program who are like-minded entrepreneurs. 
and they're approaching the world and how they can improve and how they can learn from each other. And I learned more from those guys than I ever did from the, the profs. I, I think that what the profs do, they do a great job of facilitating the case studies, but it's the discussion about the case studies and how they dealt with certain situations. For example, um, I had a partner who uh, was, it was like a, when you're starting a, a high capital business like this, you need sort, you need an access to capital. And I had a wonderful partner who, uh, who basically gave me a, a carte blanche in terms of being able to access capital. And it was all done on debt to equity. And fundamentally, it was it was it was done on his personal on his personal guarantees because, you know, at the time it was ten to one debt to equity ratio that you were able to have. And at one point in time, we were running a thirty four to one debt to equity, like which is unheard of. However, uh, we were always in a positive cash flow position, and I understood cash flow really, really well. But some of the other finer points of, um, let's say, running a business of, of the size we were getting to, uh, I just needed some other help. And there's all kinds of consultants and all the rest of it, but I need to learn by, by doing and then learn through other people. And so I found that the OPM program was probably the best thing that I could ever start money on. And you know, it's like when you're a kid, you're going to school and somebody else is paying for all your education. You go, yeah, sure. Okay, I'll go through it. I'll go through the motions. But when you write the check yourself, boy, I'll tell you, I really, I really paid attention. This is a great, it was a great experience on that, in that side, in that side. So I, I, what I would say is, you know, I'm 72 uh, and I'm still learning and I still read and I, you know, when I read something motivational every day, I have my checklist of things that I go through. But it's just a, it's just part of who who I have become. It's just, it doesn't matter, and you can learn by reading. You can learn, you can learn by by spending time with other people and other industries. And quite often, um, I generally spend my time reading self help books or other people who have done very well. But you know, I also like reading science fiction, and and I think science fiction is like a, is like a video game for me because. It's it's totally uh, it is totally fantasy whatever, but it just keeps your mind occupied, looking at things in a different way. That's all. And so I, I don't know if that's a long answer to your question, but I just think it's just part of your DNA as far as wanting wanting to continue to learn. I'm I'm still getting over Jeff. You saying you're 72, you look like you could pass for 52. I, I kid you not. <laughs> real quickly, real quickly before I move on. What was your first impressions of the strategic coach? Strategic coach. Well, we we had an inside track uh, with strategic coach for a long time because uh, we had Adrian Duffy, who was one of their strategic coaches, and Adrian uh, had been a facilitator, and, I, and we've worked with Adrian for thirty years, uh, and I've always liked Adrian because she's totally no nonsense, uh, totally calls the spade the shovel exactly what exactly the way it is. Uh, and I really appreciate that about people who tell you this is this is kind of what my experience has been, and this is why. And so, as a facilitator, I found early is that I'm good with people, and I'm good with our team, and I, and I think I can inspire people. But there are times when you need a facilitator because if you're if you're facilitating, it's very hard for you to participate. And I really liked Adrian because she would challenge all of us as, on our team to think about a particular situation in a certain way. And when you're facilitating yourself, you can't participate. And so that's why I knew her. And so she would, at different times, use some of the materials from Strategic Coach. And I felt that we were compromising her 
integrity uh, because she was using some of the material. So I finally said, you know what, Adrian, I, I think it would be best if I enrolled in the program. Uh, and I think then I'd feel a lot better about using the materials uh, from Strategic Coach, which I know you're sharing with me, but uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want you to compromise your integrity. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you listening. Do you like personal finance or real estate? Are you itching to build wealth and create a better life for yourself or your family? Then you need to come check out the Life, Money, and More podcast with real estate agent, YouTuber, and actor Sage Weiss. This isn't your average finance show. We dive deep and do not sugarcoat topics around money and life. The Life, Money, and More podcast releases two episodes a week just for you because we're all about helping you win in this crazy world we live in. Come join the thousands of listeners on the Life, Money, and More podcast. Is Adrian the person who is one of the principals behind the print assessment tool? She's not a principal. Uh, she's not a principal, but she's one of the early adopters of the print. She introduced us to print okay. quite a few years ago, uh, and she uses it. In, she and her husband Patrick use it in in their uh, consulting business. But I will I will tell you that uh, I am certified in print. I'm certified in Colby, and we also use uh, Clifton Strength uh, Strength okay. fibers because. I find that the three of them actually uh, tie together really well. I want to go back to a comment that I made earlier that I love reading books by CEOs. Uh, and, and I'm not going to make a judgment statement. I'm not going to place judgment on anyone. But I, I think it was Ed Stack wrote the book, The Startup of Dick's Sporting Goods. One of my yep. favorite books in the last five years. Unfortunately, unfortunately the relationship, the husband-wife relationship did not survive. Uh, I read a book by Charles Schwab, which turned out to be a complete surprise. I thought it would be boring, but it was outstanding. Unfortunately, it was a relationship, husband-wife, did not survive. I probably have read more books of CEOs, again, where the marriage does not live forever. I read your book, breath of fresh air. I would love being able to see more examples of where, whether the CEO is a female or a male, where those relationships stand the test of time. And I just want to just say, I'm, I'm thankful. And I look up to you because family did not take second place in your career. Family to me is Probably, uh, probably most important. If I look at my the roles that we play in our life, and by the way, I do that once a year. I go through all the roles, and sometimes I eliminate some, sometimes I add some. But most they all say, "Well, why am I doing this role? Why am I doing? Why am I doing this? Is this a commitment that I have, or is this an obligation?" And you probably heard this expression many times. But if you like, if you commit to something, you commit. If you say you're going to do something and your heart isn't in it. It's an obligation, and that just sucks the energy right out of you. And too often, I think we find ourselves in a position where we say yes, and we really didn't, we really shouldn't have said yes. So now I, I have this other thing that I read every, every day. Well, do it before you say yes. How is it going to affect all the roles that I'm dealing with right now? And and so, 
quite often I'll say, look, and I let me think about it because it's easy. And you know, everybody wants to stroke your your ego and all the rest of it, and I don't fall prey to that anymore. And I, and I say, look, well, let, let me think about it for a minute. Let me see. I've got a bunch of things on my on my plate. I'm not really sure that's going to fit with what I'm with what I'm doing right at the moment. And sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes if it's an opportunity to, you know, maybe focus more on my purpose or whatever, then I'll, I'll look at it. But I, I'm very careful about what I say yes to these days. You know a lot, Jeff, about adversity. Go back. Let's, let's wind back the clock or flip yep. over the calendar to 1982. You're in <laughs> survival mode. Uh, there were a lot of bankruptcies in your space in Canada happening, not maybe not daily, but weekly. Liquidity uh, was an issue. I know it would take another hour to talk about how does one get through adversity, but what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned when you hit major, I don't know if it's a road bump or a pothole, uh, no pun intended for the industry you're in, but suggestions, again, for those of us who hit I mean, serious adversity. Well, I think there was two times. There was a, in the early 80s and then in 2008. And right. So I would say initially, uh, in, 2000, in the early 80s, you know, in the early 30s, um, and, I, and I remember one of the things that I had done, and I, I, I think you're going to ask me about what are, what are some of my favorite books that I've read. Well, I think one of the things that stood out in my mind at that time was um, – the 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 Dale Carnegie program and I originally signed up for the Dale Carnegie program because I wanted to be able and I was getting more and more involved in larger companies and large more presentations and I was deathly afraid of speaking in front of a group uh, and that was just one of the things that was just it just eats at you and so what do you do so I looked at the communi- basic communication program the Dale Carnegie yeah. So I said, okay, how much does it cost? Okay, I'll, I'll be there. Tell me when I have to be there. I mean, and she says, no, no, it doesn't work that way. I said, what do you mean it doesn't work? She said, well, you have to come and you have to have an interview to see whether you'll actually fit into the program. I said, look, I'm going to write you a check. Uh, what's the problem? Well, you know, so I had to go Friday afternoon, downtown Evans said, meet this woman. And so she tells me that, yeah, the, I'll be able to do everything that I want to do, get everything that I want to do. And then I get these books. And, and the one book, uh, was called How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. Excellent. And I, and I got to tell you that um, that was not that was not what was I was looking at the program for. But it was that book that probably made the difference in terms of how do you deal with adversity and how how do you stop worrying and start living. And then in in the course of reading the book, I realized that there were a number of things that were that will affect your ability to think clearly. Or put you in stress, and how do you get out of stress? And I, so you know, living in daytight compartments, or what are the things that you can tr- control that you can't control? And you know, why are you worried about that? You can't control it anyway. So you just have to do and be your own worst critic, rather than letting somebody else be you. You'll be your own worst critic. And so when I went through that book after after I finished the program, and um, you know, again, I'm not, this is not a bragging thing, but I, I got the outstanding achievement award for all the people that were in the program. I did you too. You did as well? I did too. Okay. So, so you know how great that feels. It feels great. You know, you weren't, 
and you were looking for the recognition. But what it is, you say, I made a personal breakthrough, and my personal breakthrough was that I really started to understand uh, there, there's some things you can control and some things you can't. So only work on the things that you can control, and don't worry about the rest because you can't do anything about it anyway. And so then that, that just sort of changed uh, changed my my thinking, and, and that was the biggest benefit I got out of that program. So in the early 80s, I realized there's only so many things that you can do. You know, you start to, like, fundamental survival things. Collect your money as quickly as you can. Uh, delay paying your bills as long as you possibly can without losing your credibility. Uh, and, you know, and it goes on and on and on through, through that whole period. Luckily, uh, we had some great uh, people in our organization who, you know, Laura Jenkins in particular, one of the fellows that worked with me, uh, said, you know what, there may be a recession going on here, but uh, we're choosing not to participate. I thought, you know, what I, that kind of became our battle cry as well, because, you know, yeah, we're not going to participate. We're just going to continue doing business, and we're going to look after our customers, give them great service, and we got through it. So that was a was a really great, I think, achievement to be able to get through that part of it. Learn how to collect money, learn how to repossess vehicles real well. Um, you know, just it was a great it was a great learning experience. Down in two thousand eight nine was a whole different scenario because now you've got uh, the whole uh, the whole and I just bought my partner. Oh, I'm now the sole shareholder. Uh, after twenty nine years, I'm the sole shareholder. Um, and I've got enough runway. I've got an extra twenty million dollars roughly of capital that I can access. Uh, and then I get the phone call from you know from from uh, Manulife and. They said, "Look, we really like you. We just won. We we just won one of Canada's fifty best managed companies. Blah blah blah." Uh, and, <laughs> and they said, "We really like you, and we really like your company, but we don't like the car business." So, uh, if you recall, uh, GM was going broke. Ford was about to go broke. Right. Chrysler was somewhere never never land. Nobody knew where Chrysler was for sure. So now you got all these other things that are happening, and now now you really start to figure out, okay. I need money to continue to grow this business. And so now you start to look at all the different alternatives and things that were happening. And so I think if I hadn't looked through all of the other issues before, that would have been a real difficult one to do. Great lawyer, great advice. Uh, you know, so all those things sort of came together. But that was probably, we were so close that if you if I couldn't have figured out how to continue to get money, we would have done it, but we'd also been very conservative on our depreciation policy. So we had we had tons of equity in our fleet, and I think that we read in the book that we had tons of equity in the fleet. And therefore, as we were selling, we were making money. So the banks, so the banks all of a sudden, you know, kind of sat up and took notice and said, you know, what he's been telling us all these years is not what's happening. They have equity in their fleet, and so even though the rest of the world is going to hell in a handbasket, they're still making money, and so. A big lesson for everyone uh, at that time. Say, look at, you know, we we have all these people who, you know, that were our competitors who are playing the game of not depreciating their fleet enough, and they're playing they're playing the used car market game. Whereas we always said, no, I'd rather have, I'd rather pay less income tax, have all of this liquidity, so that in the event something goes wrong, and as a CFO, you would understand that uh, liquidity is king for sure because. I never really felt bad about having to repossess a vehicle because if it if it didn't work out, there was always a home for it. And we always had enough equity in our fleet that we were never going to be underwater in our fleet. 
The other thing I want to mention real quickly about adversity, and you've kind of brought it up on the, just on the fringes, but your, your value system, uh, there's a message, a quote, a line on page 74 of the book, something about maintaining my value system was critical because this isn't my line. This isn't, I'm just quoting somebody and I can't remember who it was, but if you don't, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall through anything. And, and, and I, and I firmly believe that. And I think without, and, and many of the young people that I've talked to know is that figure out what your values are and, and make sure you, uh, make sure that you embrace those values and, and, and both that's what you live by and commitment. And you asked about my family, you know, what we, you know, for better, or for worse, uh, in, you know, stood out in my mind. When you make a commitment, you make a commitment. Uh, and, and I think that commitment is absolutely, you know, one of my cornerstone integrity. If you can't be honest with yourself, I don't know if you can be honest with anybody else. In 2013, you sold the majority of your business to a much larger organization. I don't know if these, if I have these numbers right, I think you kept 18%. Uh, And I think your management team ended up getting 7%. And I have, I've made this up. I call it the 80-15-5 rule of M&A or divestitures. What that means is I think of of M&A or or divesting into before, during, and after. Well, that's what those numbers represent. You spend 80% of your time before. Uh, 15, yep. 15 during and then yep. five after. And it's a little bit of a crass comment because I almost think those numbers should be flipped. There should be more thought put in after the divestiture. And why do I say that? Because I'm talking to you. I think I could be wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong. I think you put a fair amount, if not a lot of thought about the after the divestiture. We'll be right back. Are you interested in small businesses? My name is David C. Barnett, and I've been podcasting and producing YouTube videos about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses for almost 10 years. I'm a former business broker and have owned and operated several businesses, and I've been advising business owners since the 1990s. Each week, I create a new podcast, which answers one of your questions, and I've always got amazing, exciting guests. You can find me on YouTube by going to smallbusinessanddealmakingpodcast.com or just search David Barnett's Small Business in any podcasting app to find me. I look forward to seeing you around. I, I think because one of my Clifton strengths are that I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I will always do something focused on the future. And most people in that quick start will focus on the future. And right. so you're, you're kind of right about what you said, your, your BDA. And so I don't do anything just because what's going to happen right now. I do it for what's going to happen in the future. And, and so I'm very happy about what's happened with the organization. Um, I've said that I'll work for, if you want me, uh, if you want me to sit her, I don't have a problem. But, you know, I really, what I, at the time I hit 75, I, I think it's time for me to exit and let somebody else uh, run with this thing. But I've had, I love the business. Uh, I love the people. Uh, I think that the inspirational leadership that, if, that that we have right now in that company is just phenomenal. And I, I mean, 
you know, we've opened in Dallas, um, or pardon Houston, 18 months ago. And within another 18 months, uh, I think we're going to probably, we're going to be close to 3,000 vehicles in the U.S. And uh, it's just ironic how this business has continued to grow. And the opportunities that we see are great. And we invested in software. We've got, you know, systems and procedures that we know work, um, keeping track of everything that we have. Fleet management is an area that we, I know we can grow our business dramatically in that side of it. And, uh, you know, the ARIs and PHMHs and all the other guys that are out there, they all have big management. But sometimes I think they're living in, you know, in Sleepy City and we're, you know, they're kind of living in the past rather than looking at what's possible in the future. Might not even be fossil fuel vehicles, might be electrical. How are you man- managing your electrical vehicles? How are you disposing them? How are you buying them? So we're, we're kind of at the cutting edge in some, a lot of the things that we're doing with the technology part. So if you're asking me about, again, what am I, am I future focused? Definitely. Um, if you look at print, so my, my print are, 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 there's, there's nine, there's nine prints and there's, there's a combination of, of any two as your major and minor, you know, and my major is to be heated and appreciated. And so therefore I'm very good with people. I'm extremely good at uh, uh, having a, a kind of a sixth sense about you know what someone's like to deal with. But I'm usually not wrong when you know when you meet someone. Uh, and second, my minor is, is to be exact, precise, and correct. So I believe in providing service, but I also pl- believe in doing it uh, the same way every time, and looking for ways that we can improve it. So that's sort of where my focus is. So if you look at my, if you want to say the four freedoms from you'll know four freedoms from yes. strategic coach. Yes. Right, so freedom of time, freedom of money, freedom of people, or relationships, and freedom of purpose. So everything that I try to do as far as purpose is concerned revolves around how can I now help other people, whether it's my kids, whether it's uh, the school that I went to, or any of the people that I work with. That's that's what sort of gets me up. So if you want to look at the, the, the BDA, I think the BDA for me still is, you know, how can I help other people get better? So that's that's a long, long answer to your question. I hope that makes sense. You've already hit a couple of books that I know in your probably your top five, which, by the way, that how to stop uh, worrying, how to stop living. Yes, totally. Yeah, I, I remember that book. I think we were exposed to it. And I think week three of the old uh, Carnegie training, and I'm like you. Yeah. I loved that book. Are there any other books that just stand out that are on your like list that you maybe give to others? Well, you know, I, I should know the author. I don't. Uh, there's probably three books, but Trust in the Balance is one of them. It really talks about how your organization is structured and everything is built on trust. And integrity is, is, is critical. Genuine caring about other people is really just an absolutely important part of that, important part of that as well. If you're interested at all, I'm going to send you a book summary if you want it. I'll I'll send you the book summary because it's it's not a popular book. It's not it's not one that's uh, what I would say. You know, you wouldn't naturally think of it. But trust in the balance is is one that I that I really enjoyed. The other one that I really found was uh, I guess helpful for me was it, it was uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. It's an old old book, uh, and there are some things in the book that yeah okay. Uh, for me, money is important, but it's not the only thing. Uh, you know, if you want to have enough that you're comfortable, what you have, so you have freedom to do some things that you, and you're free to make as much money as you want, by the way, as you know. But what I like, what I liked about 
I think in Grow Rich was there was one particular phrase in there that that then he used that I I just love that phrase and it's that if if you help enough other people get what they want, you will always get what you want. And to me, that's kind of been my my motto is that if I can help you uh, get what you want, especially in our organization, for example, I'm always going to get what I want. So I never begrudge anybody making huge amounts of commission because that means you're working your butt off and you're, and you're, and you should be paid for what you're doing. I, I really believe that. So I've never begrudged anybody any commission check, and 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 I, matter of fact, the bigger the better. Um, but to me, if you do help enough other people, you will always you'll it'll always return a multiple times. Well, that was kind of the biggest message out, out of that book for sure. So those are those are kind of the ones that sort of stand stand out in in my mind. And Dan, Dan Sullivan's books are good, by the way. You know, um, you know all of his little series of books. I don't know if you I don't know if you bought his series of books. I think his best work, his best work. It's a it used to be a CD series. Now it's MP3. I think it's on. You can get it on the Nightingale Conant website. It's called Pure Genius. Jeff, my kids listen to Pure Genius when they're all in high school. They really? loved, they loved it. And again, I think you'll have to find it on Nightingale Conan. Jeff, Jeff, this is outstanding. You made my day when you said yes. And by the way, I love your industry. To me, your industry makes complete sense. And and again, I I just continue to wish you. Uh, the best and everything you're you're doing. You are an outstanding uh, human being. Well, thank you. I appreciate this opportunity. And uh, as a matter of fact, I'm uh, I'm actually going to be in Kansas City uh, later this month. I, I'm going to be I'm going to be spending time with your friends. So that'll be an interesting discussion. You are listening to CFO Bookshelf: Lifelong Learning for Financial Leaders. And now back to our host, Mark Gandy. Jeff says in his book, I started the business when I was 27 with nothing more than a few years of experience and $80,000 in cash. And when the book was published in 2018, revenues exceeded $400 million with 675 employees. And it's amazing what vision, creativity, and a few capabilities with the help of others can achieve. And that's why I enjoy reading books by CEOs, as I not only find them instructional, but inspiring as well. We need to call this a wrap. I'm Mark Gandy for CFO Bookshelf.